Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 1, Episode 6, Cold Lazarus. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us again this week. We've got an interesting one for you. Yeah, we hoped everybody liked um, our guest people from last week, and, and this week it's back to just the two of us. So we'll have guest hosts every now and then, but for mostly it's just going to be me and Rachel. because just chatting we, it up. Yep. Just two best friends <laughs> hanging out, <laughs> talking Stargate. As the world should be. Yes. All right. Okay, so this episode, as we said, is Cold Lazarus. It originally aired on August 29th, 1997. It was written by Jeffrey F. King and was directed by Kenneth J. Garotti. Every time you talk about when the original show aired, I always try to remember, like, what was I doing on that day? I can never, no, I never get anything. I never get anywhere. Uh, August 1997, I would have been starting my freshman year of college. Ooh. Yep. So you may or may not remember what you were doing. No, I do, because I didn't have my first drink until I was 21, because... Okay. Yeah, because... Well, well then you. Well, okay, technically it was like two weeks before I turned 21, but we were at Disney World, like, to sort of celebrate my birthday. My grandma was like, we're celebrating her 21st birthday, and the waitress was like, I'm getting you a raspberry margarita. So... Ooh, your first drink ever was a raspberry margarita? was at the Sci-Fi Diner at MGM Studios, which is now Hollywood Studios. And it was delicious, and margaritas are still one of my favorite drinks to this day. <laughs> and you've never been the same. I've never been the same. I did drink a little bit, just a little bit before. I never really drank until I got to college, but I did drink before my 21st birthday. However, at midnight on my birthday, for my 21st birthday, the new experience happened to me where my brother made me shotgun a beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice brother. There you go. And I actually did it. <laughs> Yay! I have never shotgun a beer and hopefully never will because beer is gross. I don't do beer. Oh, that's I'm right. Just... And you don't even like cider. No, I do like cider. I like cider. Some... Oh, I thought they were like mostly you didn't like cider either. No, I like as long as it's, you know, apple. Oh, none of that other mysterious fruit no. cider? No. No. But like, you know, uh, orchard. Uh, Angry Orchard. Angry Orchard. I was going to say Old Orchard, but that's a shopping center. (laughs) (laughs) Angry Orchard. That's it. They do make really good, like, pear ciders. Well, I don't like pear not alcoholic, so... (laughs) If you don't like the fruit, you don't want to drink the fruit. If I don't like the fruit, I don't want to drink the fruit, no. That's Um, fair. No, but that does remind me... Oh, what, what is the name of that company? But they have, like... Jack, Queen, King, and Ace are all different kind of fruit ciders, and they have an apple one that's really good. It's like on the drier side and not super sweet. It's really good. I think that's just called Ace. I like that stuff, too. Okay. Yeah. If it is, that's what it is. I like it. 1997. Yeah. 1997. Let's go. Okay. So in this episode, the team discovers a crystalline alien species with the capability of assuming human form. O'Neill comes to terms with the death of his son. Yeah, this one was when, intense. This what this was intense. I I like it though because it filled in it filled in enough of O'Neill's backstory to sort of understand who he is, but it didn't necessarily like completely answer every question. Like there's still room for us to fill in our own blanks a bit. Yeah, I I like that we got this backstory on on O'Neill, especially since it was such a big part of the movie too. So to see how they're dealing with it on the show, I think was good for them to address that. Right. I also like how they, how it was an episode about not necessarily where they went, but you know, what happens when they come back, like more into their personal lives outside of being on the Stargate team. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Me too. Okay. So to start off with, so we're on a bright, very sunny planet and it appears to be like, mostly yellow sand with these giant blue crystals. What do you think this location is where they filmed this? You know, I was trying to look and I was trying to tell if that was like a set that they made or if they just filmed it on a regular sand set and, you know, digitally turned the sand yellow or I couldn't really figure it out because I thought it was really, really interesting to just have a huge yellow sand desert, like mustard yellow. Yeah. 
Okay, so it's not sand. It's actually a giant sulfur pit. Oh, really? So that was yes. real. It was like on yeah. location somewhere? On location. That's what it looks like. Um, apparently, 5 million tons of elemental sulfur go through Vancouver each year. So there's just massive stockpiles of sulfur in Vancouver. And they use oh, wow. it as an alien planet, which I thought was, like, really cool. That is pretty cool. Wow, yeah. they found a place like that in Vancouver. Yeah. Pretty they, didn't ha- they didn't, like, have to, like, color retouch it or, like, anything. That, like, that is what it is. So how do you think they even found that location? Do you think there was somebody that was just like, dude, you guys, we've got to do an episode here because it's just like yellow, man. It's like an alien planet. Well, if 5 million tons of a product go through your city, you probably know about it. But then the other interesting thing is, so the, the sort of the alien entity in the series are these blue crystals. And apparently they're that crystal that they they made they made those crystals those are props the crystals but they're apparently almost the exact same color and clarity of hydrated copper sulfate crystals so if you like turn sulfur like into crystals that's like what it would look like oh my my that's interesting isn't it just oh so yes vancouver is a wild and diverse geographical area apparently it's not just forest it's also sulfur It's those two things, forest and sulfur. Forests and sulfur. Mm -hmm. So our team's wandering around and Sam and like Daniel are sort of like picking up the crystals and looking at them. And Sam comments that the crystals are granite, not volcanic, which I I wasn't quite sure what she meant because granite is a rock, not a crystal. So I mean... I can't get over the fact that it's, and this is such a, like a nerd thing is that I, every time they go onto a planet, I just can't help seeing that they're not taking like any precautions for being on an alien planet. Like sure they were wearing gloves, but they didn't have any sort of like sample protective mechanisms. They were just like walking around on their shoes. Just like, hey, and I can't, I can't unsee that now that I've actually thought about it. <laughs> well, you're going to have to forget it real quick or else it will bother you for the next 10 seasons. I know it's going to, I need to work on suspending my belief in the mm-hmm. fact that like, it's. but they've even, I mean, especially the fact that they've had episodes so far of like, oh, we brought back this weird thing. Maybe yeah. we should maybe we should plan on not bringing back weird things. Yeah, the the lack of decontamination procedures is is troubling. Yeah. Yeah. I can't unsee it. I can't. <laughs> well, get over it, Rachel. Nope, we're going to talk about it every time. Okay. <laughs> Be prepared people. We're talking about it every week. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So, uh besides the fact that she says they're granite not which is rock not crystal but she also comments that they look they've like they've all been like broken like they've been blasted apart by something so there's no sort of large hole pieces i guess that they can see then we have jack just sort of wandering off as apparently sg1 is wont to do and tilk is sort of like standing at like top of the dune sort of looking over sort of everything like he's sort of like keeping guard while like Sam and Daniel's doing their thing and Jack's doing his thing and he's like found a sort of a larger crystal and he's like looking into it and reach out and touches it and it like blasts him back and he falls unconscious and so the camera's sort of just looking down on him and we see something sort of come into the frame and we see them from behind and then it turns around and it's another O'Neill. <gasps> Weird. What? How are there two O'Neills? What's going on? Daniel radios that they've finished their recon and they're ready to head back. So this, uh, I'm going to refer to him throughout this podcast as Not Jack. So Not Jack heads back with them and sort of looks around in amazement when they get back to the SGC. And he still has not spoken a word, which is very not like Jack at all. So I'm, how has nobody recognized that there's something going on with Jack? I don't know. I know, that is funny too. Yeah. Uh, so then we cut to the opening credits. Okay, here's another fun, little fun fact with the opening credits a little bit. Do you know what the S in Don S. Davis stands for? Uh, Samsonite. <laughs> no. I don't know. <laughs> it stands for Sinclair. Sinclair. That's a fancy name. Don Sinclair Davis. It's his mother's maiden name. Oh, fantastic. Uh, 
I asked him at a convention one year when I was like getting his autograph and we're like making small talk and I was just like, you don't have to answer, but I've just, you know, what's the S stand for? Because there's that bit about, you know, the S in Harry S. Truman is like just an S, like it doesn't actually like stand for anything. So I was kind of wondering if, you know, if it was just like an actor thing, if there was another Don Davis and he had to like, uh, you know, adjust his name because there's a thing with the actors unions where all the names have to be unique. But no, it's just his name, Don S. Davis. So at the debriefing, Sam comments that there was no indication of any recent activity by the Gould or anyone else. And Hammond then asks Daniel about the crystals. And Daniel says that they were only found in the area sort of right around the Stargate. So it seems that they would have been put there on purpose because if they were natural, they should have been, I guess, more further scattered, even though it didn't look like they went very far unless we just sort of saw the end of their recon, I guess. He he speculates it could have religious or cultural significance, and he also confirms that there is no sign of any kind of humanoid civilization, at least, on the planet. And through this whole thing, that not Jack is just kind of standing, looking out the window that overlooks, like, the gate room, and we get flashes sort of back to the planet of what happened when this not Jack appeared, and then Hammond says that they're on stand down until their next mission. So we cut to the locker room and we see not Jack opening Jack's locker. And he's sort of looking through it and he pulls out this cigar box that holds sort of various memorabilia. There's like old photos and letters and his wedding ring. And we get another sort of memory flash of what appears to be Jack playing baseball with his son. And then Sam come in. Sam comes in and comments that the locker room is now the women's locker room, which there's only one locker room, and there's like time slots for when it's the men's locker room versus the women's locker room. <laughs> like there seem to be plenty of women on base. Why aren't there two locker rooms? Why why aren't there not separate ones? I don't know. It I don't just... know. Also, she can't be the only woman on all the Stargate teams. No, she can't be. I'm sure there's others. We just, you know, we haven't seen them yet. But, like, I mean, there's plenty of, like, you know, female scientists, like, you know, Dr. Frazier's there. There's the sort of the lab tech we'll meet in a little bit. Like, there's plenty of women that work on this base. There has to be a women's specific locker room. You'd think for the size of that base, they would have had more than one locker room. Oh, yeah. I agree that that's weird. Yeah. So this seems like a situation where they were just like, hey, how do we start how do we this get scene? Sam and Jack in a scene together <laughs> if Jack's in the locker room? She comes in and says, hey. I would also like to point out the fact that not Jack is there means that they left real Jack on the planet. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So real Jack is just still unconscious on the planet. You think he would have also come back severely sunburned because Although the maybe, planet maybe. was big and bright and... Yeah. Although maybe it has UV better UV protection than the the planet from the first commandment, so maybe they're okay. <laughs> um, maybe. Okay, so Sam comes in and she sees not Jack like looking through the photos and you know sees a picture of his son and comments that she's an auntie herself, but she doesn't get to see her her niece and nephew that often since her brother moved to San Diego. And then not Jack abruptly stands up and says goodbye, Sam, and just like leaves. Okay. Which I thought was interesting that he would know when people leave, they say goodbye to each other. Yeah, the the sort of the knowledge this not Jack has both of Jack specifically and also Earth culture in general is very strange. I'm not sure exactly how it works because it seems to have some of Jack's memories, but not all of them. So maybe he's seen memories of Jack saying goodbye to people. And is able to sort of extrapolate that this is what happens when you leave. But yeah, it, it's interesting what this entity seems to know and understand. Agree. So Daniel then comes into the locker room and he actually does finally comment on Jack's odd behavior that he's been acting very much not like Jack usually does. And Sam replies that he must have just been eager to get home to his family and that she didn't even know he was married. And Daniel's like, oh, he was, but they separated after the death of their son, which that's a bomb to drop on somebody out of nowhere. I would also like to point out that Daniel walked into the women's locker room. I Yes, exactly. <laughs> if this is the women's locker room, Daniel, why are you in there? <laughs> I All right. the same thing. <laughs> uh, Script okay. loophole. Yes. 
plot hole. <laughs> yes. So Nat, not Jack, is walking down the hall to leave, and Tilk sort of comes out from a room somewhere and says that he wants O'Neill to show him Earth now. Uh, and not Jack's like, another time, not right now. Then we cut back to Sam and Daniel walking the, walking down the hall, talking about Jack and how Sam doesn't really know anything about him. And Daniel says, well, he doesn't, you know, really tell you much until you until he gets to know you, which, you know, is true, I guess, from what we know of him so far. There, you know, hasn't been much personal time shared between them that we've seen. You know, what's interesting, though, is that Daniel kind of talks like he and Jack are like old buddies, but they haven't really known each other that long either because they met each other for the original, uh, you know, journey through the Stargate. And yeah. then at that point in time, they had their big old adventure and then Daniel stayed. So it's not like yeah. they've known each other that whole time. He knew him for like maybe a week. But I guess, you know, the whole, you know, sort of stressful times make for fast friends kind of thing. That's true. What's the line from Speed? Uh, never start a relationship based on... An extreme... Extreme something. circumstances. Something that never last. <laughs> I don't know. Something like that. But, you know, that was quite an experience they went through, so... But then, so Sam and Daniel arrive at the lab where there's sort of a large crystal segment that's being examined that they brought back. And the lab tech actually says that it passed all decontamination protocols. So there are some decontamination protocols in place, but not enough, I don't think. Well, it seems like they're decontamination protocols for, like, people – or, sorry, for um, – for, like things they bring back, but not yeah. the people on the team themselves. Yeah. So there's some, but not much. <laughs> um, but so even though it passed the decontamination protocols, it does seem to be eliminating or, or emitting a low-level electromagnetic field. That or all her fridge magnets fell off the wall by themselves. Ha, 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 This show is funny, people. <laughs> <laughs> like I get what she was saying it just it felt so forced you know it's like I was like oh, I get what you mean but ugh, not so good <laughs> so Sam takes over examining and it asks Daniel about what happened to Jack's son which Daniel tells her and I'm like I don't think this was his thing to tell like yes he knows what happened but this is Jack's story to tell. I don't really like that Daniel told her what happened here. Well, I actually think that it's better that he told her because, I mean, of course, Jack would be the person to tell, obviously, the detailed story and how he feels about it and, and everything. But I don't know, like if something super traumatic happened and someone was just like, hey, tell me about your family. You wouldn't really feel comfortable to be like to say it yourself. I think that would be actually better at coming from someone else to kind of give you the heads up of like, this is what he's dealing with. I I mean, I guess, but I think there's ways to be like, hey, don't talk about this stuff with Jack without getting into the specifics of what happened and why. I don't know. It just it felt a little icky to me for some reason, especially because. Well, Jack doesn't know, Daniel. Like, so now if Sam just mentions, hey, sorry about your dead son, Jack's going to be like, wait, what? Oh, I mean, she knows now, but like by the end of this episode, you know, it's sort of all out in the open. But I don't know. Well, it is kind of common knowledge. It's not like it's a secret. I guess. What do you guys think? Was it okay for Daniel to tell Sam? Was it not? Let Send us, us your thoughts. Send us your thoughts. Let us know what you think. So... Sam goes back to examining the crystal and she comments that one edge looks like it's been melted. And Daniel asks if she might know what did it, because if they can figure out what did it, then they might be able to figure out why the crystals were where they were. And Daniel's like, was it maybe like lightning? And Sam's like, well, that's too precise. And then goes, I think I've seen a cut like this before here in this facility. Cue dramatic music. So we cut to not Jack holding one of the family photos and standing outside a house and a woman comes out and he sort of stands in the street practicing saying, hello, Sarah. So this is Sarah, his ex-wife and apparently their house, which, okay. So I have a question about this. So in children of the gods, when, after they've come back 
from Eidos with Daniel, and they're at Jack's house. Jack tells Daniel that Sarah left while he was on Abydos the first time. I always took that to mean, like, he went to Abydos, and while he was gone, she packed up all her stuff and, like, left the divorce papers on, like, the kitchen table or something. But this, based on the flashbacks we get throughout this episode, this is, like, their house where they lived when they were married because Charlie's room is still there and all his stuff is still there and the memories that this entity has are of this house. So what happened? Like, did she pack up some of her stuff and then come back and decide to live there and Jack moved out? Or I don't, what do, what do you think happened? Because I'm a little confused now between this and Children of the Gods, what like actually happened. That is a really good point because they discussed later that, you know, their their marriage fell apart because they just weren't communicating yeah. to each other what they needed to get through it and they weren't helping each other. It does make total sense that, you know, from what we know of the movie, Jack O'Neill was in such a bad state by the time he went on the mission that he was prepared to just not come back. And that would totally make sense then that while he was gone, the wife was just like, I'm out. This is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't I'm do done. this anymore. Yeah. Um, but you're right. They do. They do say in this episode that he left her and she's living in the house so like did she pack up some stuff to maybe give him time and was like maybe planning on reconciling and then but he was like nope I can't and decided to like he would then move out and she moved back in I mean that would make sense too especially if we need to be you know be around Charlie's stuff yeah because if he if she left while he was gone and then he comes back from this big adventure and like his house is empty no family, no nobody, he would be like, um, I'm out too. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to go with the, she moved out temporarily. He came back. They got actual divorced. He moved out and then she moved back in. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. Cool. I can work with that. Okay. So Sarah comes out of the house. She starts like tinkering with an old car and her dad is there with her too uh not jack then walks up the driveway and says hello sarah like he's been practicing and which i just that i don't know their practicing is just interesting like he's trying to find the intonation by like sifting through memories or something is interesting and she's very startled to see him and questions why he's there and not jack says that he needs to find charlie and it's very important that he finds charlie and he yells out for charlie and sarah like you know pulls away and like pushes him away and like starts to yell at him and runs inside the house. So this not Jack has some of his memories and like knows the name of his wife and his son, but doesn't remember that Charlie is dead or doesn't completely comprehend what Charlie being dead means. So we're in this really interesting place with like, what does this not Jack know and understand? I also thought it was interesting they were having the conversation when he greets her and she says something like to the effect of like, what, you think you can just walk back into my life? And like, that is (laughs) one of the classic lines that you hear in so many things that nobody ever says in real life of like, what, you think you can just walk back into my life? Like, nobody has ever said that before in real life. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but it's in so many movies and TV shows. It is. Yeah, that does yeah, that does get brought out. So, uh so Sarah runs back into the house and her dad comes out and invites not Jack into the house, which I'm not sh- I don't know if I would do the same thing if I were him if, you know, my daughter came running back into the house, you know, crying and very upset with my, you know, ex-husband out on the driveway, I'd be like, "Leave." I don't know if I would want him there, but Uh, special circumstances you know they're both going through some stuff yeah because honestly it hasn't been that long since charlie died it's probably been at most like two years really Mm -hmm. because i think it happened not long before like the original movie so right yeah So back at the SGC, we hear over the PA that all new personnel should report to the auditorium for orientation. So apparently we're still like hiring people to work at this new facility, which I like little things like that just sort of help flush out like 
this world that we're living in, which is just, it's a nice little touch. I think, um, Tilk walks into a room, which is like, is this his room? I guess where he's like staying at the SGC. I think that it's Jack's room because he previously asked Jack to take him outside and show him the world. And Jack said some other time, this was not Jack. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he just leaves, and so Teal'c is still at the base and kind of wandering around. So I think he wandered into Jack's room and saw the TV and started playing with the TV. Because you could obviously tell he's never watched TV before. So <laughs> if there was yeah. one in his room, you know, he obviously would have seen it. Or they had, you know, just put it there intending to show him what it does and he just hadn't used it before? Maybe? I don't know. He's in somebody's room at the SGC. Whether it's his or Jack, we don't know. But yes, yeah, as Rachel said, you know, he starts like flipping through the TV and we see various like news programs about like riots and war and the stock market and this really like heavy metal music video, which I tried to find out which music video this was and I couldn't find out what it was anywhere because I couldn't like understand the lyrics enough to like Google what the song was. So uh, I wish I had more trivia for you guys, but I don't unfortunately at this part you didn't so, try to research what other news feeds were going on I, about the <laughs> chaos outside no I couldn't I couldn't find anything about like what's going on because it was all just like just generic enough that yeah it wasn't really specific enough to be anything I could google and find out about unfortunately nah that's probably on purpose yes so Sam and Daniel then come running in all excited. They're like, hey, we need your help. And he turns off their TV, turns off the TV and comments that their world is a strange place. And Daniel's like, so's yours. <laughs> You're on an alien planet, basically. So yeah, it's strange. But basically, they need to check out Tilk's staff weapon from the armory back at Sarah's house. Which, okay, sort of doing this podcast and making these notes these first few episodes, I've noticed Scenes are really short in the show right now. Like, we're like, we're at the house, then we're back at the SGC, then we're back at the house, and we're back at the SGC. Like, it's like two to three minutes in, like, each location, like, just going back and forth. A lot. Observation time with Carrie. Do you ever play the game where you try to imagine what happens in between the cuts? No, I don't. I don't know why. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I ever have. I, I do that sometimes because there are some shows where, like, oh, I'm trying to think of situations where it happens, where... It, it just happens very unnaturally with how people would normally see each other. Like you'll notice in TV shows how people will, they won't call each other nearly as often to have conversations of things that they would normally ask. They mm -hmm. go over to each other's house to ask them about things of like, oh, how was your concert? Or, you know, what all that stuff. But huh. that's just like TV magic. But yeah, but I've always noticed sometimes in TV shows, they'll, set a conversation way later than it would take place. Mm. Like, like for example, I'm trying to think like somebody goes on a date, right? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. the best friend obviously wants to know about the date. Yes. And so they end up having the conversation like, like at the end of the day, let's say it's in high school, right? They'll have the mm -hmm. conversation like at the end of the day on the ride home when you know that your best friend would be like texting you like, how did it go? You call me right now and you tell me about this. <laughs> like they would not let the conversation go, but yeah. they do that because there's another scene in the middle taking place huh. for that timeline. And then the conversation takes place later. That's I do that so often. I can't say I've ever really done that. I'm probably going to start doing it now. So thank you very much, Rachel. <laughs> um, so now you're going to be watching the Stargate scenes of like, be like, so imagining in your head. So what happened when they went to the armory to check out the yes. staff web? And yeah, well, right now scenes are so short. It's sort of like where one scene ends, then we go to another scene. But then when we go back, it basically picks up right where the last scene left off because they're so short. Which I get you sort of want to show that these two things are taking place simultaneously, but I don't know. I think there's scenes are too short right now for me, at least. I don't maybe it's just because I'm doing this podcast thing about it and I'm having to like take notes and I keep having to write back at the SGC and back at Sarah's house and then back at the SGC. So it's very noticeable, but I don't know. You're like, can't they have a scene longer than can't two minutes? They have a longer scene. Uh Anyway, so back at Sarah's house, 
Sarah's dad has taken Not Jack up to Charlie's room and comments that parents shouldn't outlive their children, which, yes, that's one of, like, the worst things possible. And we see flashes of memories of Not Jack remembering Charlie and various things, and he comments that Charlie loved to laugh. And then uh, there's a really nice conversation between this Not Jack and Sarah's dad, and Not Jack goes, I thought I would find Charlie here. Sarah's dad goes, look around, you still might. Not Jack goes, he's gone, what do I do? And Sarah's dad goes, Sarah comes up here and talks to him sometimes, and it helps her. If it helps you, I'm glad you're here. So Sarah's dad then leaves him alone, and we see not Jack sort of touching various items and getting flashes of memories with Charlie, including the memory of what happened the day that Charlie died. It's very visceral. It's very heart-wrenching, especially Sarah's yelling of Charlie's name when they realize like what happened because they're sitting on the front porch and Jack was going to take Charlie somewhere. And Sarah's like, yeah, he was just here. He should be around here somewhere. And then you hear the bang of the gunshot and it's like, oh, it is heartbreaking what happens to their child. And I can't even imagine going through what they went through. And I don't, this whole episode is a really interesting look at grief because we see not Jack experiencing the grief. By the time, you know, the movie has happened, Jack has already been through this and we didn't get to see it. So now we are seeing it. What do you think about this sort of look about actually getting to see a parent grieve for the death of their child? Well, on top of that too, it's, it's not it, it's not Jack experiencing it right. is the point is that it's yeah. someone who doesn't even really understand what he's seeing and going through because he's an alien. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's an interesting perspective, too, because it's almost someone that doesn't even know how to process what they're experiencing, which is which is to a degree exactly what happens. To people. Yeah, I think. That we, I think it is a good experience into the insight of Jack O'Neill's character because, you know, they can't really, it wouldn't have played as well if they did an actual flashback. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I can see that. Yeah. So I think it was a way to bring the audience to that experience without just having a flashback. Because also O'Neill... And, you know, everybody talks about how he's like the military guy with the bravado right. and doesn't talk. Well, obviously, that wouldn't have been something yeah. that the audience wouldn't have, would have been able to watch because it would have been just right. like him sitting in the corner somewhere. True. Yeah. It's sort of also an interesting reversal of the sort of humans go to alien planet experience alien culture thing that happens, you know, in this show and other sci-fi shows. This is sort of alien comes to Earth experiences Earth culture which doesn't happen a lot. True. And it's usually from the perspective of you people are monsters. You have war and you have cruelty and you have all this stuff. This is, yeah, this is a very interesting episode, how they, yeah, dealt with the alien being on earth versus us just being on the planet. I thought it was good. It was just enough to hit home while still, Mm -hmm. you know, fitting into a TV show timeline so back at the sgc tilk is with sam and daniel in the gate room and he fires his staff weapon at one of the large chunks of crystal that they've set up and then suddenly there's like an alarm going off and someone over the speaker goes what's going on in there and tilk goes you had permission to do this right and they're like yeah uh-huh we 100 percent totally had permission to fire your staff weapon in the gate room yep that's exactly what we did <laughs> And then they just sort of scuttle off with the crystal and go back to the lab. So back in the lab, Sam comments that the glassy edge of the crystal that she was looking at earlier reminded her of the marks that Apophis's weapons had made on the gate room wall, which is why they needed Tilk's staff weapon, which would a plaster wall look the same as a crystal when they're hit by the same thing? I don't know if I completely by that oh i don't know how any of that works so but anyway so the crystal is inside some sort of like scanner machine and sam's running some sort of computer program to compare the energy signature of the crystal that they just blew up 
with the one that they brought back from the planet and it matches. So conclusion being that all of these crystals were like blown up by staff weapons back on the planet. Why? That's the question we have now to answer. Back at Sarah's house, not Jack is getting ready to leave when Sarah stops him. And she asks, you know, why he's here now since they haven't talked about Charlie since he died. And he doesn't, he doesn't really answer her probably because he doesn't know what to say because this isn't Jack. Um, he just comments that Charlie used to love playing that game, which is baseball. He loved playing baseball. But more than that, he also just loved playing with Jack. And not Jack says he needs to get back to the Stargate. And Sarah's like, okay, yeah, uh-huh, you need to get back to the Stargate. And she starts crying. And he asks, like, what's wrong? And she's like, I'm crying? And then... You know, she asks what's going on with him because she saw him earlier sitting in Charlie's room and he, she thought he was going to cry and asks, where is all that O'Neill military bravado? And the not Jack says, I don't think I have it. And they kind of smile at each other. So, yeah, it's that interesting. This Jack is not acting like Jack normally would. But still, they're not quite catching on that something's really wrong here. And then not Jack suddenly smells smoke. And apparently there was a casserole in the oven that is now burnt. What? Oh, no. Oh, darn. I very much like what they did with Sarah's character in that they, they never make her uh, particularly angry. Well, I mean, except for in the beginning when, when yeah. O'Neill is asking for Charlie. And she's like, what do you even do? Um, yeah. But... You know, in this particular scene, I, I like that they don't make her angry at him. Like, what are you doing here? How dare you show up? But she just is kind of, you know, asking this person that she cares about, like, what, what is up? What is going on with you? Yeah. Something yeah. Talk yeah. to me. I like it, too. So back at the SGC, Sam's, like, super excited about the readings that they're getting. And she really wishes she should get she could get the crystal under the spectrometer at Stanford. And took us his usual alien. What is a Stanford? Um, and she doesn't so, tell him. She doesn't. She just kind of like smiles and laughs to herself, like, "Oh, Tilk, you're so alien. It's so funny." <laughs> like, tell him. I don't know. So Daniel's in the back, and he's like looking at the crystal, like really. He's like really like almost like nose to nose with this thing, and you see like inside it's moving somehow, and it forms like a face for a second, and then it goes back, and Daniel's all like, "Whoa, hey guys, uh." look at this is weird weird thing happened weird thing come here and so sam and till come rushing over and like daniel tells sam like go like look at like really like up close go look at the crystal so she does and she gets nose to nose to it like daniel had and then her face pops out and we hear the crystal say help us what like it, uh, it's a talking crystal how does that work this is amazing this is weird what's going on very Alien. confusing Alien. And then in the middle of all this, the Stargate activates, but no one's due back. So like the alarm goes off and armed soldiers rush into the gate room and SG-1 runs into the control room with Hammond. And okay, here's, I think this is a glitch. This has, there's, there's a mistake here somewhere. So SG-1 run into the control room and she asks why the iris isn't closed. And the Hammond goes that somebody sent through their codes, but the wormhole's not yet established, so how could the codes have been sent if there's no wormhole? Which means, like, the whole, you know, the connection's not complete. So the codes couldn't have been sent because, like, the other, they're not connected yet. Somebody made a little goof there, I think. Uh, unless, you can ex unless you can explain it somehow. Oh, and then, <laughs> let's fix the plot hole. Fix the plot hole. Can you fix this plot hole, Rachel? Because I can't. Um, they edited those little snippet scenes out of order. <laughs> okay. Sure. He meant to say it when it was connected, and they just edited it wrong. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay, so then the gate does finally connect and like Jack comes running back and he's like, why could you leave? How did you leave me behind like that? And is all confused because there's like, you know, 50 soldiers with guns pointed at him and he's like, what's going on? And Hammond's like, who are you? And Jack's like, what do you mean? Who am I? I'm Jack. And like, what's going on? And Hammond's like, take him into custody. And to his credit, Jack just, you know, goes along with it, which, you know, good Jack. And so we cut to Jack in a holding cell and 
uh, Hammond and SG-1 are observing him over, you know, like the security camera. And this Jack is definitely Jack. Like he's acting more like Jack. He's talking. He's, his general demeanor is definitely Jack-like. And here's an interesting thing. We also see on the monitor a possible date. Because in like one corner, there's the time. And then in the other corner, it says 05-09. So it's either May 9th or September 5th, depending on the whole day-month thing the military uses. I'm not sure. So that may be why the TV stuff earlier couldn't find anything specific. Because who knows? This aired in August, but it's taking place in May. Hmm. There you go. We'll never know. Jack's in the room and he's like, get me out of here. And like throws his pillow at the security camera and stuff. And it's, it's very, it's very Jack-like. And like, yeah, this is Jack. Okay. So if this is Jack, then who's the other guy? So we cut to the other guy that's been acting really weird and going through all of Jack's stuff, (laughs) going into the women's locker room. (laughs) Uh, so we cut to Nachek and Sarah at the park. Apparently they went out for dinner since the casserole got burned. And Sarah's like, just like, talk to me. Just talk. Let me know what's going on. Talk to me. Let me in. And Jack asks if this is where they came when they first got together. And she's like, no. Why Why would you think that? That's no. And Jack asks if she's mad. She's like, I'm not mad. And he says that she was when Charlie died, and that's why he left. And so here's another, you know, one of those interesting things of what does this entity understand of the memories that it has of Jack? And here she does get a little angry, which I think is justified. And she starts to yell because she's like, I wasn't mad. I just, I needed you, and you just left. And then not Jack says, I know. And it's like, and she's like, oh, so you can just, you can just say that now. And he's like, yeah, it should have been said sooner. And he can't really explain why he came back. And she says, try me. And then Nachek says he wanted to bring Charlie back through the Stargate. And Sarah, you know, again, yells, you know, cut it out. Like, stop talking about Charlie. Stop talking about the Stargate. This is all just weird. And you're being weird. And I don't understand what's going on. And then not Jack then just like collapses on the ground with this like electrical charge surging all over him. And Sarah is very confused, obviously, and they need to get him to hospital because something weird's going on. So back at the SGC, Dr. Fraser says that the DNA of this Jack that they have in the holding cell matches the DNA that they have on file for Jack. And also a physical examination of the body also supports that. So apparently... (laughs) My mind went to some real interesting places with that line. <laughs> like, okay, who did that examination? And how do I get that job? Uh, <laughs> yeah, what sort of examination would you I do? Mean, Just like, like a general physical? Yeah, like, but also like moles and freckles. Like, are they talking about sort of like that specific kind of stuff? Like, you know, he's got like a mole on his left shoulder. I don't, you know, anyway. And... So they're like, okay, so if this is Jack, then who came back with SG-1 earlier? And Jack's like, what? There's another. What now? now? Can you say that again? So they pull up security footage and show Jack, the footage of not Jack, coming back through the gate with them. And Sam then explains, like, what happened with the crystal earlier in the lab about how it was able to, like, mimic her and Daniel's, like, faces and posits that possibly the not Jack is the same thing, but just somehow, like, a full-grown human and not just a face, which, but... I don't know if I would have made that leap. I know. It's like, it's like, like, I get it, but also you have, like, a little crystal segment and there's, like, a little, like, two-inch face... But also somehow there's a full-grown life-size version of Jack O'Neill that the crystals made in 0.2 seconds. I mean, also, like, you think the the question of like when they finally bring up, oh, then who's the other Jack? You think that would have been like the first question Jack asked of like, why do you think I'm not me? Yeah, it did take a it yeah it I, yeah it probably took them a little too long to get to the whole who's the other Jack yeah thing. So we're back in the lab. So Sam goes up to the crystal again, like she was earlier and goes, hello. And Sam's face appears again and the crystal starts speaking. And Sam asks, what are you? And the crystal goes, energy, unity, 
you would describe me thus. And Carter says that you asked for help. And the crystal goes, if I remain here, my energy will disintegrate. I must return. And Daniel says, why did you not speak before? And Crystal says, fear. Jack asks, fear of what? And this is where we sort of get the little backstory about, like, what happened to these crystals. And it says, the ghouls came to our planet long ago. We were not afraid then, and we tried to greet them. One of them touched us as you did and was destroyed by our energy. The ghouls, or slash Jaffa, ghouls and or Jaffa, apparently dug up all the crystals and ended it. So it wasn't a ceremonial pit. It was a mass grave where they dug up all the crystals they could find and shot them all uh, with their staff weapons, thinking it would, quote unquote, kill them. I did think this was kind of strange because if one of them was killed by touching it, then the next course of action is to touch all of them to move them. Yeah. I mean, unless they had tools to move them. Possibly some sort of, you know. So shovels. then you cut to like a whole bunch of gold construction workers <laughs> with cranes like moving them from one place and... to another. Yeah. <laughs> moving them from one place to another just so they can be like, ha ha, shooting all you bastards. Yeah. But then this raises another question. So if a gold or Jaffa, because it's, it's, un- it's unclear if, you know, the crystal could sort of tell the difference between a ghoul and Jaffa at this point. Um, touched one of them and died. But then Jack touched one of them and didn't die. How? Because shouldn't the symbiote that was in the ghoul or the Jaffa have, like, protected it from whatever th- blast or whatever? Or... Was it just the thing that the ghoul touched was like really, really big and the thing Jack touched was really, really small. So the little blast charge thing wasn't as much. Well, it said that they were trying to greet them. So maybe out and the okay. energy was too much because t- Jack touched it and he wasn't supposed to. Right. OK, so the ghoul reached out as the crystal was reaching out. And so it got like sort of super energy zappy thing i think so i'm going with that okay so the crystal like goes back to normal and jack is like okay so what's going on and daniel goes if you thought that your entire race was destroyed by the ghoul as punishment for harming one of them what would you do if you thought it was going to happen again what uh, what i'm i don't i'm confused i'm what like what do they think is happening i'm not sure i completely understand what they think they understand is happening. Like, do they think this not Jack is like here on purpose to destroy us in retaliation for us, quote unquote, having destroyed it? Oh, I didn't even catch that the first time. That doesn't even make sense. No. So I don't, I don't completely understand what Daniel is trying to say here. I don't know. Moving on. Skip it. Okay. We don't know. Okay. So a guard comes running into the briefing room and confirms that not Jack is not in the mountain. And Sam then comes running in and says that the crystal is starting to give off uh, some sort of decaying nuclear radiation, which that's never a good thing, but apparently it's in a small enough, small enough dose that it's not harmful. But if the same thing is happening with the being that's imitating Jack, then that thing is much larger and probably give off much more harmful dose of radiation. And Sam then tells Jack that not Jack was looking through his personal effects in his locker. And Jack's like, God crap. And like runs off and picks up the phone and starts dialing Sarah. We figure out when the answering machine picks up and we hear her voice on the line and he hangs up and it's like, okay, so we apparently have now figured out that the not Jack is one of the crystal things and it has gone to visit Sarah, we think at least. That's sort of where we're starting from. So SG-1's walking through the corridor and somehow, for some reason, they're still in like these really weird, it's not their like normal sort of like off-world fatigues. They're like really big and like oversized and like, I don't know why they wouldn't just be in like street clothes if they're sort of going out into the general world and need to sort of keep their job secret. But I don't know. It's kind of a generic military outfit. Okay. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it looked like everybody was wearing clothes that were like three sizes bigger than they normally are. Like when they go on like our fold missions, 
I don't know. It just looked like big and oversized and baggy for some reason to me. You don't know what they have hidden in there. Yeah, uh, that's true. Maybe the, you know, guns stuffed. Where do you think Teal puts his staff weapon in his pants? Oh, Hammond takes it from him because Hammond's like, you can't take that. And Teal's like, I have seen your world. I'm going to need it. And he's like, mm, no, you can't have your staff weapon, but you can have this baseball hat, <laughs> which has Chicago written on it. Yay! And Teal goes, Chicago, the Windy City, home of the Blackhawks, the Bulls, and the White Sox. And O'Neill goes, don't forget the Cubs. That's right, don't forget the Cubs because... I'm I'm a Chicago girl, people, and so is Rachel. Um, yeah. So yay, Chicago! So yeah. um, I'm not sure why Chicago. I tried to like look into it, and we do learn in like later episodes that Jack was born in Chicago, but I'm not sure why at this point it's like a Chicago hat and not like a Colorado hat because they're in Colorado. I don't know, but that's a good point. But hey, shout out to Chicago! Woo, go Chicago! And it's not called the Windy City because it's very windy here. It's called the Windy City because of all of the politicians blowing hot air everywhere. Oh, that bugs me every time people say that. No, it's not because it's, I mean, it is windy, but that's not why it's the Windy City. So They have long-winded politicians here. Yep. So there's some knowledge for you folks next time you're on Jeopardy. So we cut to the hospital and we see not Jack lying on a bed and Sarah's next to him and his Suddenly, he, like, sits up and, like, opens his eyes and goes, Charlie, because apparently this is the hospital where they brought Charlie and where he died. And he pleads some more with Sarah to take him to the Stargate. And she's just like, I stop. She's like, you know, not having any of it. And then he be, he starts convulsing quite severely and electri- electricity is like surging everywhere and like things are like exploding and lights are shorting out and Sarah runs away. And then outside the hospital, we see police and it looks like they're evacuating the whole hospital now. And there's a cop who approaches a doctor and says, as soon as Colonel O'Neill's get, as soon as Colonel O'Neill's team gives the signal, I want you to start shutting the power down inside. All right. So do they know that there's another Jack O'Neill already inside and then there's the Jack O'Neill that showed up and I I don't know this whole scene was a little confusing I like I I don't I don't quite understand what exactly is happening and who who has been told what and like why are they waiting for Colonel O'Neill's team to tell them to shut off the power if there's something that's like making electricity go bonkers why aren't they just shutting it down themselves that's a very good question I don't I I had just assumed that this dude was just he must have just gotten a phone call from like his boss and was like I know you have a situation there's gonna be a Colonel O'Neill and this team arriving they'll handle it and the dude was like okay not knowing anything about who was in the hospital. Okay. I, I was assuming this person had never met any of these people and would just be like, okay, okay a Colonel, I can't say it. A Colonel O'Neill's team is coming. Got it. Okay. That works, I guess. So we cut to back inside the hospital and Sarah's standing in the hallway and her hand is getting like wrapped by a nurse. So obviously she got struck by one of the electronic electrical, like sort of discharge things at one point. And we sort of hear in the back, we hear Jack yelling at everybody to get out. And then Sarah sees him running down the hallway. And she's obviously very confused because she just left Jack in a bed convulsing with electricity shooting off him. And now here's Jack in military fatigues running down the hallway. And he like, he like sort of hugs her and comforts her. And then uh, Sam and Daniel lead her and the nurse away while Jack and Tilk head towards the not Jack. So the power's been turned off, so it's dark, and Jack and Tilk have flashlights as they start walking down the hallway, and Jack puts on this, like, hood-gas-mask combo thing, which is a very clever way to hide Richard Dean Anderson's double <laughs> coming mm-hmm. up, because we're, bu- we're about to have two Jacks. And so Jack and Tilk enter the room, and we see not Jack laying on the floor, like, writhing in pain, convulsing, sparking all over the place, and Sam and Daniel come back. And Sam comments that the radiation is in the red because she's got like a Geiger counter thing. And so Jack approaches not Jack, who tells him to like stay back. And Jack's like, I'm not going to hurt you. And he pulls his gun out to put it on the ground, which he didn't have his gun drawn in the first place. So why did he draw it just to put it on the ground? 
I don't know. I was a little, con- it seemed slightly unnecessary, but okay. It was a weird gesture. Yeah. So the energy that's been sort of spurting off of Notjack just suddenly explodes very dramatically, knocking everybody back. And everybody's like, sort of like been knocked back out into the hallway and lights start coming back on for some reason. And the radiation has also dropped. So everybody takes off their hoods, but like, I don't think radiation really works like that. Like, but okay, Sam, you're the scientist. I guess, you know, we'll take, we'll take your word for it that it's okay. He says that the radiation's fine. So SG-1 goes back into the room and the not Jack thinks that we've come to destroy him and Jack's like no the ghoul death destroyed you and your race are also our enemy and Jack's like why did you come here and so we get then finally the explanation from not Jack about what's sort of going on from his side of things and so this not Jack goes when my energy hurt you I tried to heal you but I did not understand your injury so I looked into your mind I saw the mind of a warrior. I feared it as I feared those who destroyed my race. I tried to make you well before my mistake was discovered, before the others returned to destroy me. I understand now. Your deepest pain was not the physical injury I had caused. Your pain was from an empty place in your heart where Charlie once was. I thought if I could bring Charlie to you, it would make you well. I did not understand his death meant he could no longer exist as flesh and blood. Physical death does not have the same meaning to us. So apparently what happened way back at the beginning when Jack touched the crystal and got knocked back and got knocked unconscious, it tried to heal him, but it found Jack's largest source of pain was the emotional pain of losing Charlie, not just the physical pain from what happened when it touched, when Jack touched the crystal. And since these crystal entities don't really have the same understanding of death, like Physical death, you know, as he said, physical death does not have the same meaning to us. He didn't understand that he couldn't heal Jack in that way by bringing Charlie back. The not Jack then confirms that he is dying and he sort of apologizes that he couldn't bring Charlie back. And Jack says that Charlie is gone and not Jack says that Charlie is in his heart and reaches out and then transforms into Charlie. (laughs) Which, oh, I, oh, oof, that one, yeah. So Sam says that the radiation is still low, but she's not sure for how long. And then Not Charlie asks if Sarah is still here. And Jack takes Not Charlie to see her. She freaks out and starts crying, as do I. (laughs) Because, I mean, as a mother, (laughs) you lose your son and then suddenly he's there. And it's just... Whew, it's a lot. That would be a lot. Um, so Jack says he has to get him back, and Sarah says to the Stargate. So she finally gets it, kind of. And we hear the sounds of a helicopter, and off they go. And then we're uh, back at the SGC, and we see Jack taking Not Charlie back through the gate. And do you think they also sent the other crystals back that like they had in the lab and we just like didn't see that? Cause I'm kind of worried <laughs> about those crystals now that are like maybe still here on earth somewhere. I hope so. Because I also noticed that they were not bringing them back at that time. Yeah. And also the fact that at no point in time after they discovered that they were like living human entities, did they go, Oh crap, we blew one up. Oh, Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Whoops. At no point in time, really, like, oh, man, they're alive. Sorry for shooting one you. Up to, we just blew one up to figure out what blew the other ones up. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, they don't bring it back at that time because they, you know, wanted to make it very, yeah. very sentimental with with charlie going through but yeah, yeah i hope they put them all back yeah i'm assuming there was like a map or a fred that got sent on ahead of them that had all of the crystal parts that went through first yeah yeah so yeah we're just gonna say that happened okay yay and so that's the end of the episode and that has been cold lazarus Ta-da! so new segment that we started a couple weeks ago dealing with the episode titles of the show 
And because the last couple of times we've actually gotten reference to the episode title within the episode itself. We didn't this week. So I did some digging to see if I could find anything out about what cold Lazarus might mean. And? Okay. So, I mean, the first bit is sort of the obvious Lazarus, the Bible story of Lazarus, you know, the guy who was resurrected by Jesus, who was brought back from the dead. And then I was trying to figure out, okay, but why cold Lazarus? Maybe cold because there wasn't an actual human body brought back from the dead. It was this sort of entity like imitating a deceased person with Charlie. So maybe that possibly, but then did a little more Googling and found out something interesting. Um, In 1996, Cold Lazarus was the title of uh, a second part of like, there was a two part, four part miniseries. So there were two four part like miniseries um, written by Dennis Potter, who was dying of cancer at the time that he wrote this. Uh, so it was a joint production between the BBC and Channel 4 in England. And it takes place in a dystopian 24th century, the the Cold Lazarus, the second part of this series. Uh, it takes place in a dystopian 24th century where there are scientists who are attempting to extract memories from the cryogenically preserved head of a 20th century writer. And uh, Ooh, that sounds interesting. It does. It's not, and it's actually I've actually found the whole thing on YouTube. Like the whole like the first part and the second part are all on YouTube. I just I haven't watched it yet because it's like eight hours long. So they're trying to extract the memories, but it's like it's kind of working, but there's not really any sort of financial gain going on. And then like a media mogul steps in and they decide to turn the memories into a TV show, but the the brain that they've somehow reanimated like the head itself is not alive like there's not like a talking like severed head I don't think um but somehow the brain knows like what's going on that it's dead but somebody's accessing its memories and is like stop this like you can't do this this is not good what you're doing so it does kind of sort of echo a bit the whole Charlie's dead don't do this kind of thing that's going on with like Jack and Sarah and the not Jack and everybody. Maybe somebody uh, at, in, on the issue one production team saw that and was like, Hey, the, you know, similar themes. So decided to title the episode that um, I meant to go look at like the IMDB for the BBC miniseries to see if I could find like if any of the names were the same and I didn't get the chance to do that. So there's another Cold Lazarus for you out there, and it's on YouTube if you want to watch it, because it does kind of sound interesting. And the yeah. cast is pretty decent. Who was who was in the cast? Albert I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. So we have Albert Finney, Sharon Hines, uh, Diane Ladd, Rob Brydon, which you probably don't know Rob Brydon, but British people know Rob Brydon. Uh, yeah. It sounds really interesting. I might have to go, yeah, look it up. And see what it's all about. Because it does sound very, very interesting. I want some binge watching. So maybe Cold Lazarus just kind of turned into a generic term for uh, borrowing someone else's memories. Possibly. Yeah, could be. I like it. I'm going with it. It sounds there cool. Is. Sounds like yeah. a really interesting concept for the other show. Yeah. And especially because it was like written by the guy who was dying. And like he knew he was dying. And like wrote this as sort of his last thing before he shuffled off this mortal coil. Oh, I hope it turned out to be good then. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like the like the wiki and the few things that I've read about it seem to have fairly good things to say about it. So I think it went over fairly well. So cool. yeah, something for everyone else to watch while they're yes. watching this with us. Yes, in case you have eight hours to spare. <laughs> <laughs> so so the first part is called karaoke, and then the second part is called Lazarus. Just if you want to go look it up yourself and see what it's about, that's what you need to. Google for yourself, uh, like karaoke 1996 miniseries or something like that. And you should be able to find it. It was like one of the first results I found at least. So, Oh, so would that be the memories of the, the person with the head? Yeah. So from what I've been able to tell, so karaoke is the, the dude whose head they have like his life and stuff that happens around him. And then like at the end of karaoke, he dies 
and then Cold Lazarus is four centuries later. So the karaoke takes place, quote unquote, now or what like would have been in the 90s ish. And then he dies at the end. And then the second part picks up 400 years later with his severed head. Fascinating. I want my head to live. (laughs) <laughs> I want my severed head to live. Uh, so, Rachel, how would you rate Cold Lazarus? Uh, you know, it's funny when I watch these, because um, it's from season one in particular, because I have probably seen those the most from mm-hmm. from rewatches of where every episode comes on, and I'm like, oh, that one! I love that one! And yeah. it, was, it was this one especially, where I it sticks out in my brain because I really enjoyed that this one was really the first look at their personal lives and, and going mm-hmm. through something other than just like, yay, we're going to another planet adventure. It was a, you know, a character driven thing right. rather than any, rather than an event driven thing. Right. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, I like to how it, yeah, we got more backstory and information to fill in some of the blanks that we had between the movie and the series starting and it'll be interesting to see how we move forward from here. Oh, find out next week. Find out next week. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. You can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch, or you can send us an email at woo. That's W O O S G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple podcast, please. The more people can find us and we will see you next week for the Knox. Bye, everybody.